listening to the Gator Sports Podcast, brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. This is a USA Today Network production, and your host, Graham Hall and David Whitley. Welcome to another episode of the Gator Sports Podcast. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined to my left by a different co-host this week. David Whitley has taken the week off. It is a special time here in early May where high school football is getting into full swing. Softball is hosting the SEC tournament for the first time since 2005. And the wonderful beat writer who covers it all at the Gainesville Sun is here joining me today. Ainsley Lee, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. Excited. How has it been just juggling all these things for the past couple of weeks? Because softball on the weekends and during the week, and then you're out there during the afternoons. I mean, how has it been? Yeah, no, I I think there's definitely a misunderstanding that um, football season is the busiest season for us. That's not the case. Spring just gets absurdly crazy. Um, You know, you you get off, you you finish basketball, and you hop right into um, high school baseball, high school softball here in Gainesville. Lacrosse is pretty big, or at least it's picking up, so you've got that as well in the spring. Um, and, you, and you sprinkle in uh, college softball, college baseball. It definitely gets really busy. So uh, definitely be, it, it's kept me on my toes and just really, um, you know, you, you've got to be able to, I guess it just boils down to time management. Right. So um, unfortunately, uh, coming from college not long ago, I've gotten pretty good at that. So, um, but it's, it's, it's been difficult, but it keeps me busy. And uh, the grind is kind of... You know, I'm somebody who really appreciates the grind of everything. Absolutely. Well, you you said time management, and you have to have some experience with that, of course, but also what this area has to offer in terms of athletics. Because, yeah, everything you just said, you don't want anything to fall by the wayside. I think there's a lot of people that don't even know, you know, the NCAA tournament for lacrosse is happening here in Gainesville this weekend as well. So we say all the time that we don't have enough time to cover everything that the area has to offer. I know you feel the same way as well, but we wanted to get you on here to introduce you to the audience at, at Gannett Media and who reads the Gainesville Sun and visits Gatorsports.com because you're a vital part of our coverage as well. And so why don't you tell everyone just how you got into the business? How'd you find your way here? And what are you looking to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I graduated from the University of Florida right here in Gainesville. Um, all during my time through undergrad, I uh, freelanced for the Ocala Star Banner. That's where I'm from, doing high school sports coverage there. Um, big difference coming from seven schools down there to about 24 under the unofficial umbrella of the Gainesville Sun. Um, but spent a lot of time in Ocala um, and, and really fell in love with you know the high school sports landscape there, um, having been an athlete there myself and my brothers being athletes there. Uh, but but when the Gainesville Sun came knocking and, and the job just kind of opened up, um, it definitely seemed like it's where I needed to go to kind of expand my horizon a little bit. Again, going from that seven schools to 24 and obviously having UF and their athletic department right in the backyard as well. Um, so it just seemed like the right thing to do at the right time. Um, so especially, you know, I, I just got into grad school as well. So I'll be oh, able to congrats. kind of, yeah, thank you. Um, so I'll just kind of be able to keep all that. Right here in town, right here in Gainesville, you know, a place that I have uh, quite the affinity for, having gone to school here and, you know, done a lot of growing up here on the weekends and things like that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I love what I do doing the high school stuff. I, I tell people it's probably one of the more underrated parts of sports journalism um, because 
um, you know, when, when you turn on the TV on Saturday mornings and, you know, you hear Tom Rinaldi's voice and you know he's going to have this super awesome feature, chances are that story starts in high school. And so if you can get to it before Tom Rinaldi does, uh, you're doing your job pretty well. Um, so love what I do here. Um, you know, like I said, I just got into grad school. I'm going to go back for sports management just to kind of see if that opens up some other avenues that interest me. Um, but who knows? Um, right now, like I said, I'm, I'm super happy with what I'm doing and be able to keep juggling high school stuff and a little bit of UF stuff that I get to do. Um, so, so we'll kind of see. I mean, it's kind of, you know, I'm only, I'll be 24 this month. So um, I'm still young enough to kind of get to figure it out. So Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit more about your impressions of high school spring practice here in the second segment. In the final segment, Ainsley and I are going to talk about SEC softball. But since you've had this taste of high school sports for so long now, really, and and coming from Ocala to Gainesville, I think you've really got a sense of how meaningful a lot of this stuff is for not just the athletes themselves, but the community, the parents. So many people are not going to make it to the next level, are not going to get those Florida scholarship offers, the UCF offers. And sometimes their crowning moment is a a game-clinching, series-clinching, you name it, play that the local paper is going to highlight. And there's going to be a photo that they can put up on their fridge. I mean, so many stories like that. And then you add in all the other stories that don't make it to the timeline, to the ESPN outside the lines investigations, you know, I think you just have gotten a sense of that. And just what has it been like serving a community in a sense that you know where your your coverage is? It really has this demographic that I think a lot of people miss in a sense because they're so focused on Power 5 football when there are so many high schools out there and so many players where their story matters just as much. And getting to tell that, just what has that been like? Yeah, I mean, it's super important. Uh, again, as a f- coming from a family of athletes, I was a high school athlete myself. You know, none of us, you know, nobody in my family went on to play at the next level or anything. We just did it because it, it kept us busy in the high school in the high school years. And dad always said, you can play sports, so you can have a job. And we're like, heck, we want to play sports and not have a job. <laughs> and um, uh, and when the paper would pick up on just us or we'd see a picture of us, you know, in the in the Ocala Star Banner when we were growing up, it was it was big. And, you know, the parents would cut it out and put it on the fridge, like you said, and you know, so it is super important. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times we've had or I've had um, parents and grandparents, you know, come up to me, you know, on senior night or after the season end saying, hey, thank you, because we've saved everything that our kid's name has appeared in. And we, you know, tucked it away in a box just because we can, you know, that way we can look back on it, or he can look back on it, or she can look back on it. Um, so it is a vital part of a community. And, you know, you and I were just a couple minutes ago talking about just kind of how high school sports has changed. Um, but that part will never change. You know, just the need for the coverage and the want for the coverage, you know, coming into this job that was kind of left vacant for a couple of years. There's a hunger for it here um, in a place where there are so many high schools. And it is, you know, I always tell everybody this is a nutrient dense, um, nutrient rich place for for athletics. I mean, you know, we were seeing kids get offers from Power 5 schools a lot now right here in the Gainesville area. And, you know, so having the opportunity to highlight these kids through these high school careers and being a part of those signings, which, you know, right now is big. You know, it's a big signing period um, for, for your other sports, not so much football. Um, but, I mean, that's what it's all about is, you know, seeing these kids go on to the next level. And so just being able to have a part in that and being able to have an impact in that um, is is super special for me. Um, you know, I have a kid up in... Lafayette, who's a who's a baseball pitcher, and um, you know I, I was reached out to about him, and they say, 
you know, thanks for your coverage and thanks for putting them in the paper. Even though I, I haven't had an opportunity to go out and see him in person, uh, but just kind of following it because he says, you know, this is a kid who could go to college, but we're from a very tiny town um, and he doesn't get that kind of exposure. And so that kind of stuff alone has really helped um, him kind of, you know, be be put in front of college coaches and things like that. And so just knowing that you can have that kind of impact is kind of what makes it all worth it for me personally. Oh, I think it's really humbling when you find out that there is a prospect who maybe isn't getting much notice and you could do something by even retweeting their huddle film, including them in an article saying that they consistently won their matchup, you name it. There is a way that you can absolutely help. Let's, let's call it how it is. Get kids to college. And I think a lot of people miss that aspect of why the job can be so gratifying in a sense, because you can absolutely, if you want the ball is totally in your court, you can make a tangible impact. You can reach out to, to, coaches and say hey is there anyone on your roster that you think is is missing in terms of exposure and and you know let's be honest often the kids that they're talking about aren't the ones who are going to go on to play at Florida UCF power five schools or even maybe the 127 division one schools Mm -hmm. but they could get a division two division three offer that still changes their life I, I think that a lot of people miss that and that's why I think there are some people who they will forever love that aspect of high school sports because it can change someone's, not just that person's life, but their family's life and and set them up for future success where they may not have had that. And it could have been from a variety of factors, being from a small town or they play on a loaded roster where you think that, uh, oh, they're not as good as they are because everyone else is covering up their mistakes. Well, you won't know until they're given a shot. And often that shot can only come from added exposure and and that's something that we can provide and and so I certainly I, I'm sure that you have seen that aspect in your position as well now yeah absolutely um and yeah I mean it's something you see a lot of is just these kids you know we've got Hawthorne for example I mean Hawthorne is you know for those who don't know is you know a town of about 3,000 kids um coached by Cornelius Ingram who obviously played here at Florida <clears throat> returned to his hometown his alma mater to to coach they almost closed the doors on that school forever um and he came back and I mean they've gone to two straight state uh state titles now haven't won one but they were really close this last season but I mean that's a perfect example um you know when when we're at this class 1a state title game in Tallahassee and we've got um you know our recruiting guy John Santucci coming up to me saying hey this kid's good why have I never heard from or like why have I never heard about him? Why have I never heard his name? And I said, well, probably because he goes to Hawthorne. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I know John had put the that same kid um, on his you know recruiting watch list for this spring. Um, and I mean, but that's that's all it is is you know sometimes it's just saying, hey, this kid's really good. This kid has Division One uh, potential, and you know just just putting his name out there can. Like like you said, it can change their life and which in turn changes the family's life. And, you know, you, you, you think of the program and you've got one kid going to Division One school and then suddenly you've got these college coaches dropping by more and more because they, you know, produce that one Division I uh, talent. And so now they think, oh, is there more from this crop of kids from this tiny town that nobody's ever heard from? Maybe. Absolutely. It, it happens all the time. And... Well, that you know that that is something that I think a lot of people miss. I, I think that you are starting to see this area churn out Division One talent more often than it had done in the recent past. This area is certainly getting 
some more exposure, including from the university that's in the backyard, the University of Florida, where for so long it it felt like, at least, that players were ignored for having played here for a variety of reasons, whether it was Ralph Webb or Travis Salisbury, Jordan, Jordan Williams, guys who all went to SEC schools, all in Tennessee, that UF never even really looked at. Well, that's kind of changing right now. And when we take this first break, we'll come right back and talk a little bit of local high school football news that involves the University of Florida, as well as some other stuff that's quite interesting. We'll be right back. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Nealon, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. You are listening to the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I am your co-host, Graham Hall, joined on my left by Ainsley Lee. And we are going to talk a little bit more high school spring practice now. But first, we have to talk Creed Whittemore. He is going to follow in the family footsteps. His mom went to UF, famous volleyball player there in terms of the UF athletes. And his brother now, currently a wide receiver on the football team, Trent Whittemore. I think everyone knows that name, the technician out there. A guy who really has had an incredible rise ever since he was an eighth grader at Cornerstone Academy. has just become a tremendous local athlete now and is going to be one of the leaders in the receiving core for the Gators this season. And now his younger brother is following in his footsteps. Creed Whittemore committed to the Gators on Saturday at 1 p.m. And, you know, a little bit of a anticlimactic moment in a sense, considering Florida had just landed an IMG Academy offensive tackle an hour earlier in Nigia Harris. I mean, just, you know, kind of got overshadowed in a sense there, but a huge decision by Whittemore to head to Florida. I know that there were a lot of schools, UCF, that were really looking to get Um, him to sign with them before his recruiting ranking, I think, even took off further. You're seeing him up to number 226 right now in 247. I think that's going to rise, especially as he heads into this final season of of high school football. But you've had a chance to cover Creed for the last year. You've seen what he can do. You've gotten to know the Whittemore family. What is UF getting in Creed Whittemore, and what have you seen out of him the last year? Yeah, I mean, I think you could jump in and talk about, you know, what you see on the field. But, you know, first, I think it's important to jump into just kind of who he is as a kid. Um, you know, the Whittemore family as a whole is about as well-rounded as they come. Um, you know, Mark Whittemore is the head coach of Buholtz here, where obviously Creed plays, where Trent played. Um, and is that's just a program. Went 12-2 and last year before they ran into St. Thomas Aquinas um, in the region final. Um, you know, that, and it's just a program that does everything the right way. 
And, you know, so more than anything, I think Florida's getting a kid who's going to do things the right way. Um, we, we've seen that in Trent. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I see Trent out there after practice um, at Buholtz getting extra reps in um, with his brother, who's the quarterback there. Um, so the, the Florida's getting a hardworking kid who's going to do things the right way. Um, but, I mean, in terms of on-field talent, uh, he's probably one of the quickest kids I've seen um, at a quarterback position in a really long time. Um, you know, definitely like a dual threat quarterback. I mean, I think he was, I think he committed or he was recruited as an athlete, I think, uh, from UF. I know he had a couple of quarterback offers, but uh, really a kid who I think is just offers a lot of versatility. I mean, talking with, you know, some people, he doesn't have, I don't think, the juke and jive that Kadarius Tony had, but he's, he's a kid who's kind of similar just in the way you can use him. Um, Kadarius Tony obviously was of uh, a quarterback in high school, much like Creed is. And, you know, Creed, now, I mean, I can say Creed can throw a football. Um, he had a great uh, wide receiver core last year. Um, Quan Lee, who's obviously headed to UCF. Adrian Sermons, who I believe is going to Tusculum University. But, I mean, just he had a great wide receiver core, and so they used that. And, you know, he was definitely able to, you know, use the air game or, or just kind of throw it around a little bit last season. Um, but this is a kid who... You know, once he gets rolling, you're not going to catch him. You know, I think I saw on Twitter somebody ask, you know, who's quicker, Trent or Creed? And somebody who's close to the boys said, I don't know who's quicker, but you're not catching either of them. Um, <laughs> so, so just really fast, really athletic. But I mean, they're getting a Swiss Army knife. I mean, I don't know how Florida's going to use him. I don't know how Billy Napier and them are going to use him. Because, um, I mean, he's not, but maybe six foot. Um, so, I mean, I, he's certainly not the size that Trent is. Um, so I'm super interested to see how Florida uses him. But, I mean, I can't imagine a situation where they don't use him because that's how talented he is. Yeah, I, I, I get a lot of similar vibes. I, I keep I hate to keep comparing him to Trent, but their UF career before they really got to that point where they, I think, you know, could establish themselves as a wide receiver really took them playing a variety of positions, both of them. I mean, Trent, I saw him once line up at five positions in a high school game. He played quarterback, but I think a lot of people who saw him in the open field with his speed and his hands and just his football intelligence. I mean, you mentioned the family, his dad being the head coach for a decade now, and before that worked in coordinator roles for Buholtz, played college football at UCF I mean you name it and it just comes from a high football IQ family but the speed is ultimately what made them a power five player for Trent and that's not to say that I don't think he could have played quarterback elsewhere or you name it I just think that that speed sets them apart it's blazing it catches people by surprise and that's what Florida seems to agree with. They are going to, they recruited him as a wide receiver. I know he's listed as an athlete on 24 seven. I know, you know, it's hard to put the guy in a box, but his speed, I mean, looks like a perfect slot guy. He has mm-hmm. great technique. He needs a little bit more refinement, obviously in terms of his route running. He hasn't had a chance to really dial in on one position. He's been just showing what he can do in camps and the word potential is thrown around a lot when, People bring him in for workouts. What he understands when you're teaching him, I think, has stood out to people. And if you can capitalize on that potential, obviously, you have potentially the next Trent, who really has, I think, changed a lot of perceptions about what he could be. Because there was a time where, under Jim McElwain, people were sitting there saying, well, you know, is this guy 
uh, is he a scholarship player? I mean, he's got to be a preferred walk-on. And now that conversation has quickly gone out the window and you've seen his work ethic and you've seen his footwork, route running ability, everything. And you said, oh, you know, this is a prototypical college wide receiver. The one concern I would have with Creed is that, that, that he's lacking that growth spurt. I mean, if he had two more inches, I would be a lot more assured in my mind that he is going to pan out. I, the guy's going to have some things working against him. I think it's actually more likely that a six foot player can be successful at quarterback right now than a six foot wide receiver right now in the SEC. Now we've seen it. Guys like Brandon Powell have done it. You know, they have come in under six feet and crafted a role for themselves. But often that takes a couple years sitting in the back, working out of the backfield, improving as a blocker, and then you get your chance. So it's going to be an uphill battle for Creed, certainly, but he has shown time and time again that he's able to put in the work and, and do that to get to this point even. Yeah, and I mean, and one of the things that I failed to mention about him is just as in, like, you kind of mentioned it, just his, his football IQ, but he's also got this intensity about him. You know, I've seen him, you know, because when I cover these high school games, everybody will ask, why are you on the sidelines? Why don't you go sit up in the stands or the press box? No, I want to be on the sidelines. I want to be able to hear and see. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen Creed get after his dad, not in a disrespectful way, but, you know, just saying, Dad, like, I think we should have ran this this way. Or, Dad, why are we calling this play and not this play? And there there's an intensity about him and, and just kind of, you can tell he's very, like you said, very smart, understands the game, sees things differently. Um, so certainly somebody I think anybody would want on their offense. You know, just somebody who understands, somebody who sees, somebody who has a big vision and can pick up on, you know, what the defense is doing before they do it. Um, you know, you mentioned his height. Mark's not very. Mark's not a big guy. Mark's maybe 5'10". Um, so I, I know mom's tall. That's where Trent gets his height from. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, there might not be that growth spurt there. I, I, I don't know. Um, sure. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, I can tell you they've got a younger brother who is tall, who will probably be Trent's height if not, t- if not taller. Um, but, I mean, Creed's just kind of right there in the middle. I mean, I know, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of time to see if he, he's going to, sp- you know, sprout up a little bit, but I don't know if that's going to be there or not. Um, but, you know, if, if, he's, if he sticks around at six foot and just with his sheer athleticism, I think he could be okay. Yeah, I, I think so too, and UF obviously agrees. So you have now had a chance, a couple weeks here, to get out and visit a few high schools for spring practice. Have you gotten out of Buholtz yet? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, I visited them last week. I did. What are your impressions of, I mean, Mark's been doing this for a long time. This program knows what they're doing. They attract talent from around the area. They just made a deep run in the playoffs, 12 wins, you name it. You, you don't think that I mean it's kind of a a boring conversation about them in a way because the expectation is that they're going to be good again you know that they have pieces I mean I I know they lose guys like Quan Lee but you got to think that there's going to be someone who's going to step up on this Buholtz team but what have you seen so far is that conversation correct to believe that Buholtz is going to be right back there or are they going to maybe be in for a potential drop-off losing guys like Quan losing you know, Jack losing a bunch of guys on their roster that, that were competitive guys as well and experienced. I mean, I think, I mean, I, I'll, I mean, I'll go on the record and say that they're probably going to have a better year than they did last year um, simply because of how the classifications have changed this off season. Hmm. Um, you know, they don't need to worry about running into St. Thomas Aquinas this year. <laughs> That's uh, right. I mean, they 
right now, the only teams that should really be on their radar is Lakeland, Venice. Ooh, that's tough, though. Lakeland is tough. Lakeland and Venice are both very tough. Um, but, you know, I think that's a team you run into in state title game, not the regional final. Um, you know, because when you look at Buholtz's playoff run last season, um, they ran the table up until they, they got into St. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, three-plus scores. Um, you know, and, and those two losses were to St. Thomas Aquinas and Cardinal Gibbons. And anybody else, they beat pretty handedly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, losing guys like Quan Lee certainly is going to be, you know, something to pay attention to. Um, but, I mean, I talked to Mark about that last week, and he says, I think we're going to be okay in that spot. Um, you know, their backfield, they've got a, you know, really quick guy in Quentin Cutler, who I think is going to be coming into his senior season. Um, so between him and, you know, Creed, I would expect a lot of RPO type stuff, which could, at the high school level, could really mess with some teams. And, you know, when you look at this defense, I mean, I, I didn't think the defense could be better than what it was last year. But it just might be. I mean, they've got two blue chip guys in Gavin Hill and Kendall Jackson who are, you know, on that defensive line. Um, and, and those guys are going to have some problems. Those guys are going to force some problems against some other offenses. I know they're almost starting over completely at that linebacker spot, which is certainly a spot you don't want to start over at on defense. Um but, I, I mean, that, that defense that I saw last season was probably the best high school defense I have ever seen. Um, just, wow. you know, I mean, their, their defense is scoring more points themselves than they are giving up. Wow. Um, That's wild. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think Buholtz is going to be just fine. And like I said, I think they're going to be helped by the classification change. Um, you know, when that happened, that's they're the first team I thought about saying this is this is something that's definitely going to help a team like Buholtz, who being an 8A school, so being the highest classification, you know, when you run into St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, when, when they're at, when they're in your region, I mean, you might as well say, all right, this is going to be our last game because, I mean, they're just they're a creature in themselves. I mean, that's that's not a slight of Buholtz. It's just if, if you're familiar with. Color, with high school football in Florida, I mean, you know, it. they're just, they're, they're a monster. Yeah, they're a high school, a public high school competing against a prep school, private high school that can recruit local talent and, and get who they really want. I mean, Buholtz can do some of that, but it's more often based off wins alone rather than being able to offer something that the other schools can't per se. I know you've been to PK Young. I, I what about GHS Eastside? Just what is your perception of the city talent outside of Buholtz and, and who could maybe rival the Bobcats this year for the the city title? Yeah, I, I think um, PK Young. What Kevin what Kevin Doling's doing at PK Young is special. I mean, he walked into a program that had won four wins in like the last two seasons combined. So they had like you know a pair of two and eight seasons or something like that when he came in, and they went eight and four last year, made it to the playoffs. Um, you know, you and I were talking about Jaron Hamilton's obviously there, a wide receiver who's been targeted by Florida, by Tennessee. I think Alabama paid him a visit as well. Um, and I mean, he's a kid who I got the opportunity to see run back a couple of kickoffs last season. Um, so he's a really talented kid. I will say one of the biggest pieces that PK Young is missing is going to be their quarterback. They had a really special kid in AJ Small last year, um, who I am shocked um, isn't going to be playing at the next level next fall or yet anyways um so that's obviously a big piece when you look at that offense um you know they they had a pretty senior heavy class last season um so it'll be interesting to see how they replace those guys and can they replace those guys and can they replicate or build on the year that they had last year um I think when you look elsewhere in the city you look at 
uh, GHS, they're another team that's without a quarterback. Uh, you know, we talk about the transfer portal in college. Well, it's it bleeds into high school as well. So their their quarterback Shuby Coleman, who had a pretty decent season last year, um, transferred over to Williston, a team who didn't win a game last season. Uh, but they've got a new coach there, and he's obviously thinks he can be a part of that rebuilding process. Um, or or maybe his family moved. I don't know his reason for for leaving uh, GHS, but he's no longer there. Um, when I paid when I paid uh, the Hurricanes a visit last week as well. Um, that quarterback, that quarterback spot's hurting right now. I know they had a kid transfer in from East Side, um, but because he transferred in in the middle of the school year, he can't participate in spring. So, you know, they're having to use a running back right now to take snaps, and it's just kind of a messy situation for them right now. Um, but Doc Pollard is their coach over there, and he's a guy that I've known for many years, and um, you know, I. I trust that he's going to get the the best eleven guys and put them on the field. Um, you know, defensively they're going to be pretty stout. I think um, offensively their backfield is going to have a two headed monster and John Cooper. Um, and I, I'm the the second name has escaped me, but they're going to have two guys back there that are that are really talented. Um, and then I think you look at East Side. Obviously, they just hired their new co- head coach um, Gator Hoskins this this week um you know came out last friday that that was probably who they're going to hire and that's something the community is really excited about that's another team that has really just been struggling these last couple of years I, I think they had two wins last year um really couldn't compete with ghs really couldn't compete with Buholds. um so I, i'm excited to see just a community who wants to see that program succeed wants to see that program do better and they finally uh, from what i understand is the community the alumni they got their guy yeah no, Gator is the Gator's the guy. I, th- I think that really, if people will get to know him, and, and not to slight uh, Alex Delion in any way, you know, a stand-up guy, always had a pleasurable conversation talking to him every single time. Very respectful. Gator is a guy who played at East Side. We were talking earlier about just what it was like a decade plus ago. He understands how much investment there is in the East Side community, how desperate they are to have a return to success which they had for so long in the 2000s and just really have seen that drop off over the past decade you know you you need to have a coach who is hungry for that is willing to get involved in the community I think that that Harold is that guy um just from knowing him for a long time so it's it's a very interesting hire certainly and and I think that yeah what you said everyone in the area is just hoping for you know, a healthy football program for all the schools. You know, it was sad when Eastside was down and PK was down and, you know, GHS was struggling too. And, you know, I guess there's only so much talent in the area, but parity is awesome to see when there's consequential games in the fall where, you know, every loss matters, so to speak. That That's when I think everyone benefits, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I will say... Buholtz and Gainesville's game last season, um, Gainesville kept it competitive for probably two, two and a half Until quarters. halftime. Yeah. Until yeah. halftime, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you could sense the excitement. And, and that was a rivalry that took a year off, or two years ago, because of COVID. And so just the absolute hunger for those fans to be back at Citizens Fields together, you know, with their two teams battling it out, um, you know, if you could make that competitive every year, I can't imagine what that atmosphere would be like because, I mean, it was electric then. Again, a lot of it's because, you know, the, the rivalry didn't happen the year prior. But the electricity that was felt, you know, just in those first two quarters when it was, I mean, it was it was competitive. Um, 
I mean, it, it had a college football feel to it. I mean, it had, you know, it, everybody was excited. Everybody was, you know, loud. And, you know, that's not something you see every week at Citizens Field. Definitely um, not. So it, it's, it was, it, as, as the reporter and as somebody who really just loves the atmosphere of, of big high school football games and big college football games, you know, selfishly, um, I would love to see those teams become more competitive just to create that atmosphere of this is high school football in Gainesville. Yeah, it has been a long time, in a sense, since we've had that. And everyone loves the competitive atmosphere, certainly. It also has been a long time since the Florida softball team has hosted the SEC tournament. 17 years, to be exact. And we're going to talk about that here in the final segment. We're going to take this last break, and we'll be back on the other side. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast. USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. And we are back. You are listening to the Gator Sports Podcast, presented by the Gainesville Sun. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined to my left by Ainsley Lee, who not only has been covering high school football, she's been covering Florida softball this season. And the season is coming to a conclusion. Postseason is in everyone's view, but they got to take care of business one last time to get there, beginning with the SEC tournament, which is going to be in Gainesville this week. We are recording this Tuesday morning, so in a little bit more than 24 hours, you are going to have action at Katie Seashole Presley Stadium. Ainsley, I know you're going to be out there. Florida, 5 p.m. What are you looking forward to seeing this week? I mean, I think SEC softball is just special, Um, you know, especially this season. Uh, when you look around the league, anybody can be anybody on any given day. So I'm just excited to see some SEC softball myself. Um, but when you look at Florida, um, they're going to play the winner of the play-in games. That's either going to be South Carolina or Texas A&M. So we've got to see who that's going to be. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm just really excited to see what kind of fight this team has. Um, you know, they had a rough week last week. You know, they're coming off a loss to FSU Um which was a very close loss. I mean, I think it was a 2-1. FSU won it on a walk-off home run. Um, and then they, you know, they coughed up a game to FGCU last weekend. But it, it just felt – I was there last weekend where they lost that doubleheader to FGCU and they, you know, later came back to win against Mercer. And that was just a day that just – you know, you could tell they're, they're coming off that loss to FSU. They know SECs are coming and they're just ready for that. You know, their their eyes are kind of head. They, they weren't in the moment um, – you know, you, it was just one of those things you could feel. Like, they, they didn't want to be there. They were ready to play SEC softball. Um, 
But I, I think when when looking at this bracket, you know, I, I don't see Florida dropping in that first round. They'll take care of business against um, either Texas A&M or South Carolina, whichever they see. And then they go on to play Kentucky, um, who's who's pretty who, who's been pretty good. Um, Florida beat them earlier in the season. I, um, and, and I think Florida can do that again. But the side of the bracket that Florida's in, they're going to run into Arkansas eventually if they continue to run the table. And that's a team that obviously uh, swept Florida in late April at home. Um, but I will say this much uh, about, you know, just everybody's worried about that Arkansas. You know, they beat us three 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 games in a row um, just a couple of weeks ago. But when you look at Florida, you know, historically this season, is they figure teams out. Um, you know, they they Tennessee won the series in March. Florida lost, they lost, and then they won 4-1. to one. Um, Bama came in to, you know, to Florida, to Gainesville, and and took the series. Florida lost, lost, and they won. Um, you, even if you look at that Arkansas series, um, you know, Arkansas beats them 9-1, to 5-4, to four, and then 2-0. to zero. So if you look at the trend, Florida, you know, Tim Walton's a smart guy. You know, he, he's that's why he's kept his job for so long here. And um, so if you look at this team – it 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 might take them a little while, but they're going to figure a team out. They're going to figure a pitcher out. They're going to figure a lineup out. And so I think when you look at that potential matchup of you know Florida Arkansas Part Four in a matter of you know what is it three weeks two or three weeks, um, you know Tim Walton might Tim Walton and the team might know enough about this team this Arkansas team um, to maybe come out on top of this one and, and find themselves in the championship. Would I put money on it? Probably not. Arkansas is really good. I mean, they lead the SEC in batting average, and they also have 100 home runs this season. That's not something you see often. You know, a lot of those times, those teams who have a lot of home runs don't have a good batting average. That's not the case for for Arkansas. I mean, this is a that's a super talented team they've got there. Um, but if Florida plays their cards right, I think um, they could potentially see themselves in, in the championship. Likely with uh, Alabama would be my guess. Um, so, so we'll see. I mean, I, I'm excited to see if this team can show a little bit of grit. I know that they can, but will they? Um, you know, in talking with uh, Tim Walton a couple weeks ago, right after the thousandth win, there was a new excitement about him. Um, you know, maybe he was just kind of still riding the high of you know everybody reaching out and congratulating him. Um, but for the first time this season, which has been really rough on him, um, you know, just in terms of the inconsistency this team has played with, uh, but but just hearing him talk about this team, you know, he believes this is a team that can make a run to Oklahoma City. He he believes he's got the pieces to do it. It's just getting all those pieces to click together at the right time at the same place. Um, so so can they do that this week? We'll see. Um, but nonetheless, I'm just super excited to see um, some good softball. Absolutely. You know, it, it's you're seeing the top when you're watching SEC softball, the parity in the sport and in the conference. Uh, I mean, it's just, if you want to see a competitive match, you just turn on SEC Network and you're going to, any team who's playing, I think you're going to have a really good shot. And while Florida has certainly taken their lumps this season, you know, got over the 40 win mark and uh, has a talented roster, a deep team, as does everyone else. You know, I think you're starting to see the benefits in a sense of the pandemic where you have deeper rosters players being able to take that fifth sixth year easily and along with the transfer portal you know i florida's not the only school that has benefited benefited from that so i think you're seeing all that come together and it's going to certainly be a competitive week before we end the podcast though i do got to put you on the spot you got to give me a prediction who do you think wins the sec softball tournament um hmm. i think 
I, I've got to go. I mean, there's there's a reason the Razorbacks took lone possession of the regular season title, and that's because they are a very good team, and they leave other teams with a very slim margin of error. Um, and so I think if I had to choose, I would say Arkansas is going to win the SEC tournament. There we go. Didn't they ruin senior night a couple weeks ago for the Gators? They sure did, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, they could ruin the SEC softball tournament if the Gators had any hope in their mind of winning the entire thing here as the hometown. We'll have to see what the fans have to say about that, though. You never know what can happen when there's home field advantage on your side. We're certainly going to find out this week. I'm excited to get out there as well. I know you are. This has been another episode of the Gator Sports Podcast. We'll be back next week with David talking a little more football, some baseball, before we take a break for the month of June and return in July before SEC Media Days. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.